Amen. Amen. You, are, you can grab a seat. Thank you for being here with us today. My name is Scott Lackey. I'm the lead pastor here at New Story Church. If you're here with us in person, if you're online, we're just so glad that you've decided to take this time to be here with us today. We are in week three of a series called Breathe. Two weeks ago, Dave Martinke shared with us on facing trials. Last week, my friend John Davidson shared with us on how to deal with anxiety from Philippians chapter 4. And if you heard their messages, and even if you didn't hear them, I just want to ask you to please give them a round of applause. They were great. I'm so thankful for them that we have people like that who can come and share from the word and do so in a way that's impacting lives. And uh, I want to share, starting today, from Matthew chapter 6. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, Matthew is a biography of the life of Jesus. Matthew walked closely with Jesus. He was a tax collector. You can find Matthew in the New Testament. And, uh, and Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to pick up in the middle of Jesus' teaching, in this amazing teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. This won't be on the screen, so you can either follow along or just listen closely. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. For this reason, Jesus says, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, neither they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, then saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So in light of that passage, the title of today's message is this. If you're taking notes, you want to write something down. The title of today's message is this. Why do I worry? Why do I worry? You've probably asked yourself this question before. Why do I worry? Why do I worry about some of the things in my life that I know that I really can't even do anything about? Or maybe some of us, we may not want to admit that we've asked ourselves this question before, but we look at other people and we say, why are they worried about that? Why do they worry? Why are they so worried? And some of you might be here right now saying, I was at News Story last week and John already spoke on anxiety and worry. Do we have to do two straight weeks talking about this idea? And the answer is yes. Because John brought a fire message last week. It was fantastic. But I'm sure that while all of us remember that message, because we really think about the messages from Sunday mornings every single day, I'm sure. As much as we remember that message, I'm sure that each of us had a situation this past week where we probably gave in to worry just a little bit. In fact, when I talk with people, one of, it seems to be one of the prevailing issues 
that, that I run into with people is we all have a tendency, including myself, to be consumed with this thing called worry. So of course we're going to give more than one week to this topic and to this idea. And, and just to be honest with you, I don't always do a great job of following this command from Jesus, do not be worried, especially on Monday mornings. If you've been coming for a while, you may have heard me share before that on Monday mornings, I get up and I write my messages for New Story Church. I write up my, I write up my messages on Monday so that I can think about them all week long, and I don't like having the task over my head of, I still got to get a message done, still got to get a message done. So boom, it's done, Monday morning. But sometimes on Monday mornings, it feels as if my rhythm is a little bit off, and, and if the Holy Spirit does not give me a message in the time frame that I'm used to him giving me a message, got to be honest, I start to get a little bit worried. I start to think, have I ran out of things to say? What's going on? Can I not hear from God anymore? Is God not going to speak to me? What's going to happen? I can't come up with a message right now. Am I just going to repeat myself? Am I going to say something that somebody's already heard a million times before? And you're thinking, that's not that big of a deal compared to the things I worry about. And it's true. I need to be a little bit tougher. Please forgive me. But then I do allow it to snowball because this is what our worries do as well. I begin to worry, oh my goodness, like if I don't come up with a message and it's not a good message, are people not going to like the church? And are people going to stop coming to the church? And if people stop coming to the church, does that mean we need to find another pastor for the church? We've only been doing this for less than a year and I can't come up with a message already. What's going on? And this is what worry does. It brings us into this place of irrational thoughts. And it starts to snowball and build up more and more. A few months ago, I had to make a decision that on Monday mornings, I'm not going to look at social media. Because if I would get to a spot where I wasn't coming up with a message, I'd start scrolling Instagram and see all of these other pastors. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, these guys are brilliant. This, this, this message I just gave this past Sunday, I can never come up with something like that. These, and I started worrying and comparing myself to other pastors. I'm, Dude, Stephen Furtick's got these six shoes and I can't preach like that. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so I, I'm, I'm flipping through and, uh, and, and this, this is what happened. And I realized, I just got to pause. And as John talked about last week, a lot of our worry comes to us because of the things that we choose to consume and the things that we choose to bring into our minds and our hearts and our lives. And too many of us give far too much time to our social media feeds. Once again, including myself. So I came up with a little rhyme for us today. I got a few rhymes coming your way. I'm like Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, whatever you need up in here. So this is what I got today. I haven't preached in a few weeks, so I got to give you some rhymes. The first rhyme is this. God is the only feed who truly knows what you need. Yeah, there you go. You, this can be a conversation. You can amen. You can clap. I'm down for that. God is the only feed who truly knows what you need. He's the only one who truly knows what you need. While all the other things that we allow to feed ourselves are, are giving us things that aren't real or things that aren't reality, God is the only feed, the feed of his kingdom, the feed of his word, the feed of his truth, the feed of his people. Spending time letting God feed your heart, soul, and mind. He is the only feed who truly knows what you need. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you seek first the feed of the kingdom of God above all else, you will find that he can satisfy your every need. Amen. But then you say to yourself, I know that to be true. And maybe some of you, you're from a different walk of life right now, and you're still new to this whole faith thing, and you're like, I don't know how I feel about that. And that's okay. We want you to be able to come and explore and think through some of those things. And, and you're starting, you're just, I don't know, I don't really know, but I do know that to be true, but I still find myself wrapped up in worry. 
So let's answer this question. Why do I worry? Or why do we worry? Because it sounds great to say, oh, just seek God's kingdom first. But then when you look at this passage from Jesus, it's easy to be a little bit cynical. And Jesus sounds like a hippie in this passage. I'm going to be honest with you. He's like, hey, dude, just look at the birds, man. Look at the birds and look at the lilies, how they just clothe themselves. I mean, it's just all taken care of, bro. So, like, why are you worrying about things? If God takes care of the lilies and he takes care of the birds, won't he take care of you? Come on. Seriously. Let's just kick back and relax. I'm like, no. I have things happening, Jesus. I got things going on. I can't just watch the birds. I can't just look at the lilies. I got things happening, Jesus. So why do we worry? First thing, priority problems. We get wrapped up in priority problems. Our priorities get out of sync, they get out of whack, and, and our priorities begin to, to mess with our mind, they begin to mess with our soul. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, this is not an isolated passage. Jesus is in the middle of preaching the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and seven. You should sit down and read all of it sometime. It's beautiful. Jesus is showing us what life in the kingdom of God looks like in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's all connected. It's not disconnected. We see it disconnected in the scriptures today because we, you know, we have it laid out so that we can better memorize it and stuff. But it was all connected. It's one continuous thought from Jesus. And one of the things that we always declare to be true about Jesus, specifically in the church world, is that Jesus is, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the resurrected Son of God. All of that is true. But Jesus is also the greatest teacher to ever live. Jesus is also the smartest human to ever live. He is God in the flesh. Jesus has the best information on human life over anybody ever. He's God in the flesh. Jesus is the smartest being to ever exist. So not only is he king of kings and lord of lords, but he also has the best information that we could possibly ever want on human life. And he really lays it out all for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is not just this isolated passage on worry. It's all connected. It's all about what does this look like to seek first God's kingdom. And before he starts talking about worry... In a section of the sermon, he starts talking about the priorities of our heart. And he says, wherever, wherever, whatever you treasure the most, that's what's at the center of your heart, is essentially what he says. And then he says this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, let me be very clear here. Jesus does not say that wealth is a bad thing. Jesus does not say that wealth in and of itself is a bad thing. But what Jesus is doing is he's recognizing a very real tension that exists. This tension that exists is that sometimes our hearts can be more driven by the pursuit of wealth as opposed to the pursuit of God and what he has for us. That, that what we do is we find our priorities out of whack and we're more concerned about a paycheck than following the one who provided us with the gifts and abilities to even earn that paycheck. And that's when our priorities begin to get a little out of sync. That's when we begin to worry because as we even saw in a year like 2020, 
something that like a paycheck or money and things like that they aren't quite as consistent as what we may have assumed that they were those things are temporary they're fleeting but god is consistent god is stable he is able he is always there and as john said last week he is the prince of peace and so i'm not saying that that if you if you are doing well financially that you're doing something wrong that is not the case but if we're starting to put more of our hope and our trust in the paper than the provider then we might start to notice some issues of worry because there's not a consistency and a stability there that only God can offer and we have to start asking ourselves am I trying to build my own internal kingdom or am I participating in building God's kingdom? When we're just building our own internal kingdoms and empires, we'll find that those things aren't quite as stable. And it's as Jesus talked about later on, we're building our house on sand instead of building it on the rock that he has for us. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus points out, hey, look at the birds. Hey, if you look at the birds and you see how God takes care of them, or you see how he clothes the lilies, won't you trust that he'll take care of you as well? Jesus goes on to say in the sermon that we have a good God who desires to give us good gifts. So, so if, if God provides for the birds, most certainly won't he provide for us. But I also think that there's an indirect uh, thing coming from Jesus in here as well. Because Jesus is trying to get us to see that the birds are just so laser focused. That there's this innate peace that they have, this inherent peace that they have about themselves. That, that they're, they're not worried and consumed about what could happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday. We're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. But they're not so worried about that. They just have this inherent sense of peace that everything's going to work itself out. And they focus on what's in front of them today. And I want to let you know that when you put God first, when you seek him first, I, want, I think Jesus wants all of us to know that when you seek him first, you can know that same inherent peace that only he has for you. That peace, that comfort, that stability that surpasses all understanding. Allow Christ to begin to reorient your priorities to seek him first. And everything else will begin to fall into place. But then we have to go to our second thing. Why do we worry? Secondly, people problems. And we all got some people problems. Let's be honest about that. We all have some people in our life who we wish we didn't have to. To deal with I mean maybe you're not that person you're a great person um, but but for those of us who who aren't in that state of mind we all have people problems sometimes these people are individuals that we personally know their co-workers their family members their friends or former friends some of them are just groups of people that we see on social media or the news who are putting together a narrative about culture that we strongly disagree with. So we, we see them as the enemy. We see them as the villain. And we worry about these people. We worry about what they're doing. And we worry about why they're doing what they're doing. And we worry about what they're involved with. But Jesus says this about people, and it's not in Matthew 6, but once again, it's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And at first you might be thinking, what does this have to do with worry? But I believe it's indirectly related to worry. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, what does that have to do with worry? Well, I've noticed that even within myself, this is just as much for me. I was prepping for this message this past week, and I was like, 
dang, I got some work to do too. I got to listen to the Spirit of God a little bit more in my life as well because He is real and He's alive and He's speaking to us. And sometimes it's just easy to push that voice aside and I got to listen as well. Because what we do is we take the people that we disagree with. We take the people who are bothering us. We take the people who, who are irritating us, whether they're close to us or far away from us. What we do with them is instead of seeing them as people to be prayed for, we view them as problems to be solved. And as soon as you start to view another person or a group of people as a problem to be solved, you are looking at them as less than human. But Jesus, he loves them just as much as he loves you. And Jesus, just as much as he died for you, he died for them. And <laughs> they're also created in the image of God. And so it's, it's easy for us to start to create this distance. And, and here, here's what I found. P people say things like, well, I'm not really worried about them. I'm not really worried. You know, they, they just bother me. They just bother me a little bit. But you're worried about them. You start to think to yourself. If it's somebody you have a little bit of tension with and you're really worried about what they're doing in life and you don't really want to talk to them and you avoid talking to them, you start to say things like, oh my gosh, I just, is that them? Is that them in the line at top? I got to go get in the other line right now because if, if, if I run into them, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say to them. How am I going to respond to them? What would they say to me? How will I handle this? I can't run into this person in public. I don't want to talk to them in public because we got tension right now. And they might not even know that you have tension with them because they only ever said one thing to you in, in the past, but you created a whole narrative about who they are and how they see you. And so you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm going to run into this person. Or you start, you start seeing them do things on social media. Oh, why do they get to do that? I don't get to do that. Why do they get to do that? I don't get to do that. Why do they get to live that life? I want to live that life. Why do they get to live that life? And we actually are worrying about people much more than what we think sometimes. And what's so funny is, is that other people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking about you. And, and then we like to say things like, oh, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I am, I, I'm not, I, I'm not complaining, I'm not worrying, I'm just venting. I'm just venting, that's all that I'm doing. Okay, let's be honest about venting here, folks. Venting quickly turns into gossip. And we all know that gossip is not good for anybody. It doesn't lead to any, any good place for any person. Now, is venting sometimes appropriate? Yes. Sometimes we need other wise voices in our lives. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And we need other wise voices in our lives who can help us process through certain emotions and things. But as soon as that person that's your sounding board starts to just wallow in worry with you or wallow in mediocrity with you. They are no longer a wise person who's helping you become wise. They're just helping you continue to drag down and becoming a lesser being than what you were created to be. They're just bringing you down and bringing you down and bringing you down. It's okay to have somebody, but you've got to make sure that they're challenging you and help. And here, I'll just give a second example. Let's say, for example, let's say, for example, most of us are, or not all of us, but a lot of you are still doing Zoom calls at work. So let's say you get on a Zoom call one of these days. You have your Zoom meeting with your workplace friends, and there's, there's somebody on the Zoom. We'll just call him Bob because that's a good general name that pastors can use when telling a story. If somebody watching is named Bob or somebody in here goes by Bob, I apologize. I'm not talking about you. This is not you. This is just a story. But, but let's say, for example, you're on this Zoom call. You're in this Zoom meeting, and you're in this meeting, and Bob says something to you. And, and, you, and you take this as a passive-aggressive remark from Bob. You say, how dare Bob talk to me that way? You know what? I'm sick of Bob. I'm tired of Bob. I don't want to talk to Bob anymore. I'm tired of him. He's, I've just had enough of Bob. And so instead of going and talking to Bob like we're supposed to do and saying, hey, Bob, I noticed you said something earlier. Is everything okay? 
we just start to get upset with Bob. We start to just notice things about Bob because we form what's called a confirmation bias, and we start to see Bob through a lens of what we think and who we think he is. And so we'll start to notice things. I noticed recently, he says, Bob doesn't turn his sound off when he's on Zoom calls and he chews with his mouth open and it's really quite obnoxious. It's actually quite disgusting. I can't stand that he does that. And he starts to notice other things. I was on a meeting with Bob and his dogs came running into the background. He left the Zoom meeting. Who does he think he is to leave the Zoom meeting and go take care of his dogs? Can't that man keep his house in order? That Bob, he's just out of control. I can't stand him. And before you know it, you're, you're internally getting worked up about Bob. Bob shows up 10 minutes to a Zoom meeting. I can't believe he showed up 10 minutes. Who does he think he is to show up 10 minutes? When I showed up five minutes late, somebody said something to me, but nobody says anything to Bob when he shows up 10 minutes late. And before you know it, you're, you're putting together this internal narrative about this person that you don't like based off of one comment. And we've all done this before, and I've done this before as well. And maybe I'm the only one who's done this. And if I'm the only one who's done this, I'm sorry that I'm personally venting to all of you right now. But I think that other people have done this before. So you get this internal narrative. And then all of a sudden you think, you know what? I don't want to be alone in my misery. I don't want to be alone in my bitterness. Maybe I can bring somebody else in on this. So you find somebody at your workplace who you're close to. And you start texting them or you start calling them. And you start saying, dropping little hints about Bob to see if they'd be comfortable talking to you about Bob as well. You say things like, did you ever notice how Bob chews with his mouth open? And it just... All on the Zoom call, it's absolutely disgusting. The man's a pig. He's a pig. He's a walking pig. And then your friend's like, you know what? I have noticed that. Bob does chew with his mouth open. It's really quite disgusting. I wish Bob would stop doing that too. And then before you know it, you start saying things. Did you notice when Bob came late? You know what? I did notice when Bob came late. I noticed when Bob was late to the meeting too. That's ridiculous. I can't stand that, Bob. And then before you know it, you and your friend both have a little vendetta against Bob. And it's all based off of one comment that Bob made to you a long time ago. And you've never had a personal conversation with him. But you just have this awkward tension between you and another person. And, and what happens is, is, what happened is, oh, I'm just venting, or I'm just, I'm just putting something out there to talk with another friend about. Well, now all of a sudden you're complaining about another person all the time. And I would contend that complaining is a cousin of worry. Because the, the, the people that you complain about, you are worried about them. You're worried about what they're doing, and why they're doing what they're doing, and why they get to do what they get to do. And, and those things become really close to one another. And then you know what worry leads to? Worry leads to distance. Worry leads to polarization. Worry leads to, I'm going to assume the motives of that person. I'm going to assume the motives of that group of people. And because they did one thing here or there or whatever, I'm just going to create a distance because you know what? I'm done. Now you've never even had a conversation with them. And that's what worry does. Worry will lead us to a dark place of polarization between ourselves and other people. And we forget what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know what happens when you pray for those who you don't see the world the same as? Or when you pray for those who bother you or irritate you or getting under your skin? You're saying, you know what? This is out of my hands and it's in God's hands. He's going to take care of it. God's got this. He is good, and maybe he placed that person in your life for a reason. So when you, when you decide to say, I'm going to pray about it instead, God's got it. God's going to take care of it. And God will begin to shape your perspective so that you can see other people as created in his image. And this is what I believe can be one of the factors of us moving forward as a society, that we won't begin to continue to assume things about one another, but instead we'll pray for each other and we'll talk to each other because worry leads to distance. So we, sometimes we get wrapped up in priority problems. Sometimes we get wrapped up in people problems. And then lastly, 
why do we worry? We get wrapped up in perspective problems. This all has to do with perspective, honestly. All this has to do with how we see the world and how we view things. But so many of our worries, John alluded to this last week, so many of our worries are about things that could happen or things that might happen or things that uh, th this could happen. You know, uh, I don't know. It's like worst case scenario. And then it ends up not even happening the way we thought it would happen. Or many of our worries are also about things that happened in the past. That somebody maybe, oh, I, maybe it's even something you did. You know you did something. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I said that. Is that going to come back to haunt me? Is that going to come back to bite me? And we're worried about things in the past. And I get it. In a world like today, where there's, where there's a, a frequent cancel culture of let's find what people did 20 years ago and then say we're done with them because we don't want to forgive anybody and we're more righteous than everybody else. It's just easy to be like, could I get canceled one day? Did I tweet something that I shouldn't have tweeted when I was in middle school? Like, am I going to get in trouble? We, we, we get worried about things that happened in the past. And we get worried about things that could happen in the future that we truly have no control over. This, this was me for a long period of time in my life. And it's still something that I internally struggle with at times. But thankfully, because of, because of my wife Kim, she's, she's brought another perspective into my life over the past five and a half years that we've been married. And I've been able to start to see things in a different way. I used to come home and complain about people and situations and potential meetings that could happen in the future and, and worries of, of things that could happen. Or I would start talking about something that happened with somebody, you know, a year ago. And then, you know, what if I, what, and I, I would, I would, I had this perspective and it was really just ultimately a negative perspective of people. This person could do this. This person could do that. What could happen here? What, and then Kim would start to say, well, did you think of it this way? Did you think of it that way? It's making me really uncomfortable say, can't you just listen to me? Can't you just listen to me? Why do you have to, why do you have to, you know, why do you have to, why, why would I ever assume the best of somebody, Kim? Why, how, why would I do that? Why would I assume that somebody could change, Kim? Why would I do that? And I would start to, uh, why, and it was making me really uncomfortable. And, 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 and then I began to realize, no, this is not an appropriate way to see people. This is not an appropriate way to see situations. That everybody, that, 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 that viewing things of what could happen and shit, and I used to hide behind this excuse. Kim would say, well, did you think about this? Or did you think, I would say, oh, you know what, Kim, you just don't get it. I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just a realist. I'm just speaking the truth. I just got to put it out there. I'm, Kim, you're living in a fantasy world. I'm a realist. I'm just a realist. No, when somebody starts telling you like 50 million times that they're a realist, they're really just a pessimist okay, and they see the worst in other people, and I'm not, I, listen, if you're that person, I'm not trying to condemn you or make you feel bad today, but there is a more free way to live, and I want you to find that way to live. There's a more, like, there's freedom found in the perspective of Jesus, where you don't have to assume that everybody's always out to get you, and it's freeing, and it's liberating, we don't have to always be wrapped up in perspective problems of what could happen or something that did happen. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will do what? It will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry. Don't worry about, worry about today, for each day has enough trouble of its own. You guys ready for, for my Dr. Seuss round number two? Mother Goose, whatever you want to call me today. I got another rhyme for you. Your life is in disarray because you're focused on the wrong day. Your life is in, yeah, you want to clap, Steve? Go ahead and clap. I like that. Yeah, come on. 
Thank you. Your life is in disarray because you're focused on the wrong day. You're worried about this upcoming day or that past day. Focus on today. Because here's what worry will do. And I'm speaking from experience. When I I can wake up in the morning and have a list of things to get done for the day. I'm going to have a great, productive, awesome day. But if one situation comes into my life that makes me worried, that'll kill my productivity for the day until I, until I reach a solution or a resolution for that issue. And what worry will do is worry will sell you a false sense of meaning and purpose. Worry will make you think I'm living a life of purpose because you're thinking about something, but you're actually worrying about something that you can't even do anything about, so it really is not connected to purpose. It's more so connected to just worry, 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 worry. Worry, what it will do is you'll get to the end of a day after you've worried all day long, and you'll look back on your day, and you'll say, I didn't accomplish anything today, but I feel exhausted Worry will drain you because it'll have you scurrying around in your mind like crazy with zero productivity. Worry will try to creep in and rob you of your productivity and your purpose because pro productivity is directly tied to purpose. And worry will try to rob that from you. Worry will drain you. You'll just be drained at the end of the day. I don't even know, I'm tired, and I don't even know why I'm tired, I haven't even done that much today, but I'm just tired, because worry's had your mind going at 100 miles per hour, worrying about things. Your life's in disarray because you're focused on the wrong day, and you're worrying, and you're worrying, and you're wondering, oh, how can I get out of this? Worried, worried, worried. It'll put your life in disarray, but you, here's what I know to be true about every single one of you, whether you're online or here with us today. You have a calling today. God's given you an assignment today. You have a responsibility today. There is a purpose in each and every day for you. And as Paul says in Philippians 4.19, our God is a God who will supply every need. So we don't have to be wrapped up in what could or should happen. Pray about it. Give it to God. He'll take care of it. And don't let worry rob you of the productivity that only God has the authority to give you. Don't let worry drain you. It's just there to drain. And that draining brings death to the soul. Focus on the one who can do something about it and the calling he has for you today. Just like the birds, focus in on today. And you will find the life that Christ has for you. He has something for you today and in every day. Don't let worry rob you of that. Jesus goes on to say this in Matthew 6, 31. Well, actually, we're rewinding just a little bit. He says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Don't worry. No. What will we eat? What will we drink? This is the things that the people that Jesus was talking to were worrying about. What are we going to eat? Some of us, our worry is, oh, man, I wonder if the group of people that I'm going out with later, if we can all decide on the same place to eat. Because if we can't decide on the same place, what if I have to go eat something that I don't want to eat today? You know, <laughs> those, are the, those are the things that, that wrap us up a lot of the time. These people are wondering, well, when will I have something to eat? What will we eat? What will we wear? What will we drink? I got another rhyme for you. It's coming. You guys ready for it? You ready? I'll drop it for you. 
All right, let's do this. I'm about to mic drop this thing. If I had a mic, I'd drop it. Then Aaron would slap me and say, you're about to break our equipment. We will not thirst when we seek God first. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We will not thirst when we seek God first. You will not thirst mentally. You will not thirst physically. You will not thirst spiritually. When you seek God first, he will supply every need. Seek him first, and your soul will not thirst. That's what Jesus wants us to see here. Why do I worry? I got some priority problems. I got some people problems. I got some perspective problems. But when you allow the Spirit of God to shift those things and seek God first, you will not thirst. He's a good God, good provider, who wants to give us good gifts. I'm going to invite the band down during this time. They're going to close us out here. But just a few more things I want to share with you. You see, when I, whenever I'm putting a message together throughout the course of the week, I try to, to read in my own personal time from the book that I'm speaking from. So this entire past week, I've been reading from the book of Matthew and seeing, you know, it's fun to do that because then you start to see connections to other things within the book that you're speaking from. And I've been reading through Matthew and I've just continued to be affirmed of this truth again and again and again because we all, we all struggle with this thing of worry. And the way out of worry is found in the way of Jesus. The way out of worry is found in the way of Jesus. If you want, how do I get my way out of this thing? How do I stop worrying? So it's found in the way of Jesus. When we walk in the way of Jesus, he will shape all of those things I was talking about. He will shape our priorities. He will shape how we see people. He will shape our perspective. And I began to see this reality to be true because as I was just continuing to read through Matthew, I got to Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 9, a, a synagogue official comes to Jesus. He says to Jesus, hey, things aren't good, Jesus. My daughter has died. And, he, and he's wondering and hoping that maybe Jesus can do something about this because there, there was word going around about Jesus, this guy who was doing miracles and he was at his great teaching. And so he comes to Jesus wondering, maybe Jesus can do something about this. And it's funny that when Jesus is on the path, he goes with the synagogue official to go see his daughter and he, he's interrupted. I'm not going to talk about that story though because my wife Kim is preaching from that story next week. And so you better be here because she's going to bring the fire. But yes, Kim's great. She's my wife. So, you know. He's, uh, so Jesus is on the way to the synagogue official's place, and he gets there, and there are people gathered around because the girl, the girl seemingly is dead. She's passed away. And I just love this, this passage so much in Matthew 9, 24. Jesus looked at the people who were gathered around for what they thought was a death service. He looked at them and said, get out. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. I want to read to you a little bit more of this. It won't be on the screen, but flip here in Matthew. He said, leave for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And here's what happened. They began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. It's crazy to me, the perspective of Jesus that when he gets into this circumstance, when he gets into this situation, he, he, 
when everyone else sees death, he sees something completely different, and they think he's so crazy that they start laughing at him. This guy has lost his marbles. This guy has lost his mind. What is he doing right now? But this is what happens when we embrace the way of following Jesus. We will step into situations and into circumstances that when everybody else sees death, we see resurrection. When everyone else sees darkness, he brings light. When everything seems hopeless, he brings hope. And I have a vision that we as New Story Church will become a people that when the storms of life come our way, when the unpredictability comes our way, yeah, it's okay to be a little upset. We mourn with those who mourn. And sometimes things in life are heavy, they're difficult, but we will handle it in such a way as people who are following Jesus that people will look at the peace that we've experienced in Christ that surpasses anything that we can understand. They might even start laughing at us because they're saying, what is going on with these people? Because this situation, how are they so steady? Where is this peace coming from? What is going on right now? And I want to let all of you know today that the life that Christ brings is not just about going to a good place when you die, but it's about a peace and a comfort and a stability and a consistency and a hope and a life and a light that you can experience right here, right now. And when others see death, we can always see resurrection because he is the God who works all things for the good. And if you're here today and you've been wrapped up in worry about something, I don't want to make fun of that. I don't want to make light of that. But I do want to let you know that if you go to him, he may not even fix it overnight. He might miraculously right away. But he will begin to work out a process in your heart, in your soul, your mind and he will shape your perspective he will shape your heart and mind so that when others see what you're going through and they might see darkness you're like i got a light and it's eternal life and his name is jesus and he's the god that when all odds seem to be against us what does he do <laughs> he comes out of the grave and he wants us to have that resurrected life as well. That new life. That abundant life in him. So I want us to, I want us to sing one last song here today. We're going to close in a song and singing about how Christ will awake our soul. And today, let this be the day that you let Jesus awake your soul. That you allow him to continue to change and shift the way you see the world you don't have to be driven by worry, but you can be driven by the purpose that he has for you. That we would walk in the way of Jesus and we would find what it means to have sufficiency in him. We will not thirst when we seek God first. If you are able, please stand and join us as we continue to worship.